Welcome back to the Burlington Brief. I'm your sometimes fearless host, Chris Flaherty, filling in for the wonderful Sarah Eshelman. And as always, we are joined by B News producer Sydney Bowles. Sydney, how are you? I'm so good, Chris. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. It is my pleasure. I really think you should be commended for, for stepping up in this way and doing this service for the community. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, City, there's a lot going on in the Burlington and beyond community. As always. Um, probably the biggest thing this week is the um, equity audit for Burlington Public Schools, which has been a long time coming. Uh, it was supposed to come out last October 2022, but we have it now. Uh, there's a lot going on in that. Um, first off, what is the equity audit for those that don't know? Okay. So this is, the technical name is the Equity-Based Needs Assessment and Report. And the, essentially, this was something that the district pursued um, because of all of the, the things that we know about the way that our culture has been been shifting around equity, has been discussing diversity, equity, and inclusion in part spurred by um, some of the some of the, the protests in, in 2020, but also just cultural conversations around what equitable organizations look like. So this, um, this comes at a time for the district when there's been some stuff going on in this space. Yes. Um, a couple of years ago, and I'll be honest, this was before my time in Burlington, so I'm still learning some of the details here, but um, there, there was some. There was a diversity, equity, and inclusion director, Raymond yes. Porch, mm-hmm. who left the district, mm-hmm. and and then um, while this equity audit was going on, there was an incident at the Marshall Simons Middle School last June that drew pretty wide attention. Yeah, where uh, some students were protesting an LGBTQ rainbow flag day. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the the context for all of this for this report is that Burlington has been getting more diverse, a much larger proportion of the community are students of color. There's a much higher proportion of English language learner students. And the staff has not kept pace. In a staff of uh, 547 in 2022, just four identified as African American, for example. Mm-hmm. So there's there's context here. There's stuff. Yeah. And the report is, is a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we're going to get into it. I yeah. want to caveat this by saying this is a hefty report. It's very dense. Yeah. I got this report yesterday, and I'm doing my best to understand this. Mm-hmm. I know other people in the community are also doing their best to understand this. Yeah. So school committee member, superintendent Eric Conti, the leadership is also just trying to wrap their heads around this. So uh, everything that we say, I think, is is sort of this top-level stuff. And as the community digests this, the conversations are going to develop and become more nuanced. So I just want to give that caveat. Yeah. Our listeners can't see it, but there's about a – 20-something stack of papers right oh, in front of it's us. it's well over 40. We're well over not. 40, okay. So w- what is the end game of this report? What are we looking for Burlington to learn from this report? Right. Or so, this yeah. audit, excuse me. Right, okay. So essentially the, the goals of this report are not necessarily to rehash or to investigate past events, but to provide kind of a ground level understanding of where we are. It's to to give some data and to start with a set of recommendations for the district to pursue. Mm -hmm. Um, Superintendent Conti actually said this at um, the school committee meeting on Tuesday. He was like, this is not the kind of thing where we can implement four changes and then in a month we're done. This is, um, we have some more information than we had now we're going to move forward as a community. So it's a little it's a little wishy-washy, but it is 
a document that we can all share and refer back to as we, as a community, go down this this road. Mm-hmm. And how did they gather this report? Was it a Q&A? Was it a survey? All of the above. They looked at a lot of internal documentation. They looked at the district, districts, excuse me, districts language around equity and, and belonging. Um, and they conducted focus groups and surveys with administration, with staff, with teachers, with parents, and specifically with members of LPAC and CPAC, which is the English Language Parent Advisory Council and the Special Education Parents Advisory mm-hmm. Council. Okay. So uh, the Spark Notes version, uh, what did they find? Chris, I'm so nervous about this part. Um, okay, it is complicated. We'll, just take, we'll take our time. Oh, my God. I know okay. it's called the Burlington Brief, but we're going to take our time with it. <laughs> we'll take our time briefly. So, okay, um, this document is going to be available on the Burlington School website, so people can go okay. dig in further. Um, but I guess the main thing I'll say is that this is complicated. There wasn't one takeaway. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of members of the community who said, my kid feels supported. I feel supported in the schools as, as a student or as a staff member. There were a lot of really positive signs. Mm-hmm. And the uh, report repeated again and again and again that the commitment to equity by the administration is really clear. Mm-hmm. However, the the impact of that commitment remains a little rocky. And um, there were some pretty clear indications that the district has work to do. Right. So um, – some things that, that students reported hearing were that Burlington is, quote-unquote, the whitest town they know, specifically in the middle school, which is where we had that, that incident uh, last school year. Yes. Some students said that it, it's fairly common to hear language like that so gay. Mm-hmm. Um, students of color reported feeling excluded, um, and, and some students reported that they had experienced teachers using sort of gender stereotypy language, like mm-hmm. I need a big, strong boy to help me with this heavy thing. That really surprised me. Out of everything that I read in this, I was Interesting. like, wow. That was the one that got you. I mean, well, yeah, a lot of things got me, but that just seemed like a strange outlier out of everything. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about students reporting um, concrete experiences of, of, of potential um, negative experiences in this space, um, some Muslim students reported feeling um, terrible on Ramadan for having to sit uh, in the cafeteria right. during fasting periods mm-hmm. and, and watching classmates eat and sort of having to, to be in that space. Mm-hmm. Um and then teachers as well said um, they, they, they knew that there was an increase in bigotry and they felt like staff didn't know how to intervene. Mm-hmm. Um, and fewer than half of teachers surveyed, about 48%, said they felt comfortable discussing race with their students. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually want to take a sec here and pause because sure. there was a lot of data in this report. And my quibble with the report, something I'm going to want to pursue in the coming days and weeks, mm-hmm. is that the data is not broken down by race. So when we're saying, you know, 80% of families had positive experiences or, you know, something like that, it's not clear what the racial breakdown within that 80% is. So it it may be that the 20% who are reporting that they don't feel welcome in the school are disproportionately families of color. It might not be. We don't know because the data is not broken down that way. And I don't I don't know if that research was done and not shared in the report or if that if that was not part of what was analyzed um but it's it's a it's a note that i want to make for listeners and it's something that i'm really interested in learning more about myself okay so okay sorry that was a caveat to keep going a little bit um the cpac members specifically that's the special education parents advisory council Mm -hmm. also reported that um they said communication with administration was pretty good in the lower grades but that it got worse uh, as their students were progressing. So communication was suffering in the middle and high school levels. 
and that they felt like some teachers were reluctant to implement accommodations in the special education space. So it's pretty serious. Yeah. And one more thing I'll say before we get to, to the more positive findings in the report is that at every level or every part of the community surveyed, so that's um, parents, students, and, and teachers, there was real pushback against the idea of DEI work in general. Mm-hmm. So this was people reporting, you know, they parents saying that uh, sharing beliefs that equity work would lower the rigor of schools, that equity work has resulted in critical race theory being taught in Burlington, um, or that it's not the job of schools to be imparting, uh, quote-unquote, the personal belief systems of educators right. onto children. There was that quote that you had in your article on our website, like, my job is to educate, not to... You know which one I'm talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, teachers said that some some other teachers, especially those who had been here longest, were reluctant to embrace the idea that schools should be talking about race and equity, neurodiversity, religious equity, linguistic diversity in the classrooms and having those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were also, you know, some students at the middle and, and high school levels who were sharing, um, you know, thoughts that expressed that the district had more work to do around education in this issues. Um, some survey respondents saying, you know, what in response to the question, what language do you speak at home? Kids were saying, I speak American at home. Or, you know, saying that uh, enough with this race stuff, I don't want to talk about it anymore, which yeah. I think sort of um, explores, shares that, that these conversations are not fully reaching all students. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that I think is really interesting because – as a community, we are asking – oh, man, I'm, I'm trying to express myself here. The The work of this school community is to create educational systems that are equitable for all students, that allow all students to succeed, that um, fosters an environment where no student um, experiences worse educational outcomes um, – because of a, a part of their identity, a part of a marginalized identity. Mm-hmm. And some of that work can happen in the school system, but some of this report's findings say that some of this work also has to happen out of the classroom in the community. And, you know, I, the school is going to have to reckon with how to deal with all of that. Yeah. It's a delicate balance, I think is what you're trying to say. Totally. And people do think, like, as you said, like, they don't want it in the schools, but I think and I'll get personal here a little bit too, just so we both feel equal on this edge. It has to happen in the school, right? Because this is the future generation that will lead other generations. These are the kids that will grow up to become our future leaders, our future teachers, administrators. They'll set the tone as we go on through time. So like you said, it's twofold. It's a balance. Yeah. Right. Um, So I think, you know, the report, some of the what I've been sharing in the last couple of minutes is about um, what students, teachers, parents were reporting. They also did look at some of the data, um, specifically in the English language learner space. There was some pretty clear evidence that those students um, were having lower graduation rates, um, chronic absenteeism at a higher rate than than was is to be desired. Um, some of that work is already happening, and I think um, were Superintendent Conti or you know the principals of, of our schools in the room with us, they would also say a lot of this work is already happening. It is slow going. We are doing it, mm-hmm. right? We have a new um, day academy that was just started this year, and preliminary data specifically for ELL students, and preliminary data shows that attendance levels are really good for that. So 
some of this is already happening. It just takes time, and, and it sort of remains to be seen what, what the outcomes are. And that's a good transition into what are some of the positive findings from the equity audit? Yeah. I mean, I'll say again, the report was really clear that the leadership is committed to DEI, and majorities of parents uh, said their kids felt welcome and accepted at school. A majority of teachers said they felt comfortable talking about race with their peers. Again, it's not broken out by race, so it's tough to say, it, say if it's disproportionately people in the racial majority who feel comfortable and welcome. But it was a good sign. There was a Again and again, this data that um, although there are some instances where some people are reporting negative experiences, um, you know, statistical majorities of those surveyed are are saying, yeah, it's, we're doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. So what does the report recommend? Where do we go from here? Oh, some of the some of the recommendations are so like internal stuff for teachers and administrators to think about. Like there's a lot of acronyms about like UDL, Universal Design for Learning, which is ways of teaching that are meant to address some of this stuff. I'm going to be honest, I don't really understand how that's different from from non-UDL teaching. That's something I'd like to learn more about. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to get into that kind of like wonky teachery stuff. Mm-hmm. Some of the more generic recommendations or um, implicit dri- in- implicit bias trainings, um, filling a DEI position that's been open. That's the position that um, Raymond Porch was in. And diversifying the hiring practice uh, to, to create a, a staff that's more uh, racially similar to the, to the community. Mm-hmm. And just your final thoughts on all of this. I know it's a lot to take in. We're still digesting all of it. It is. It is. My thoughts are I feel a little self-conscious that there's there's a lot here that I don't understand yet. So I'm going to be digesting this. And I'm really interested in having more conversations with Superintendent Conti, with school committee members, um, with parents, with students. If you're listening to this, I want your thoughts specifically, like you. I want to know what you, the listener, think please email us my email uh, actually email us at news at bcattv.org because um, there's so much here it's so dense um, and it's tricky it's it's tricky to get this right so I hope that if you're listening you'll extend me a little bit of grace as your host for for trying to get my language right around this and and Chris as your other host yeah. for for trying to work with this and I also hope that we as a community can address this stuff with grace that we're all trying and it's hard yeah. and um you know, I think I think that's that's the the way to have these conversations yeah. the right way. Okay. Chris, what's your what's your thought at this point? It, it's hard work, but it's work that needs to be done. Really, that that's basically my summary of it. Yeah. And it, like, like we said, it it's on the schools, but it's also on the homes as well. Like it takes a village. Yeah. So we we're all not to get back into twenty twenty mode. Like we're not all in the same boat, but we all are in the same storm. So mm, I love that. Yeah, patience. Guidance, understanding, compassion. Yeah. All those good things. We need it. Um, Especially now as we transition into our next topic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you been uh, – I know you have. Uh, the recent news as um, the Palestinian group Hamas has invaded Israel. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on that? Chris, I – my heart is just so full for um, all those who have loved ones on both sides of this conflict um, – it is really hard. It's really painful. Um, I myself don't have loved ones who are directly Im- impacted by this, but I have um, loved ones who have loved ones who are impacted by this, if that makes sense. And it's it's really hard to witness the suffering around us um, and feel a little helpless for how to um, 
I don't know how to how to take action or how to think or how to how to support in in this in this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, with those questions in mind, I reached out to um, Rabbi Susan Abramson of Temple Shalom Emeth here in Burlington. She was kind enough to take a couple minutes to speak with me. She's got a lot going on. It's a really difficult yeah. time for her personally um, mm-hmm. and for the Jewish community here in town. So um, I'm going to turn it over to, to that interview. I think typically if you've been listening to this podcast, we would come back from that interview and talk a little bit more about what we're looking forward to in the coming weeks. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to let Susan uh, Rabbi Abramson have the last word here. Mm-hmm. So um, Chris, with that said, thank you for, for potting with me. Of course. And um, we'll turn it over to the interview. All right. All right, I'm here with Rabbi Susan Abramson. Uh, Rabbi, thank you so much for being here. I know there's a lot going on, so it's it, it's important, and it feels it, I feel grateful for your presence. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm grateful that you're taking this time to help everybody understand what the situation is from a Jewish perspective. Yeah, um, it's been a really difficult couple of days, I think, in the news for a lot of people. Um, but I guess my hope is maybe to ground this in, in the personal experience. So I guess, would you share a little bit about what this has been for you personally as, as a person and as a community leader? Yeah, so it's really been totally overwhelming. Um, there have been more Jews killed since this started, since any time since the Holocaust. And um, so that, that brings up lots of really horrible memories and just seeing images or hearing about images it's too difficult to even see of, of children being systematically killed and and um, people taking hostages elderly people as well as people of all ages and and just the the really inhumane um, horrific ways in which people are treating members of the Jewish community the, the citizens of Israel as animals to just be like shot and killed um worse than animals so so it's been devastating from that perspective and um i have family in israel i've got a lot of friends in israel and so it's very personal on that level also have you been able to to find out if your loved ones are safe yeah so i i have uh cousins one one side of the family lives in israel there there are a lot of maybe 20 or 30 people part of this part of the family and they all happen to be in the south at a kibbutz celebrating uh, my cousin's 92nd birthday. Mm. So, like, all the family who, who live in diff- different parts of the country were together at this kibbutz, which fortunately was not so near the Gaza border. But um, they're all together there, and, and they uh, my, my cousin, the one I'm closest to, lives in Jerusalem, and, and they're all feeling like they were stuck there. I actually haven't heard from them in a few days um, I'm hoping everything is okay, uh, but they felt like they could not leave the kibbutz to go back home. They were kind of sheltering there, so to speak, and I'm just hoping that they have enough safe rooms and stuff that they can be safe. And I have a very good friend who's a rabbinic colleague of mine who lives in Modi'in. Um, she's been featured on some of our uh, broadcasts before, and, and uh, she's just so overwhelmed she can't even talk to me. Mm. I, I can imagine it must be difficult not only to balance the, those personal feelings the, of, of concern for your own loved ones and the loved ones of your loved ones um, with your responsibilities almost as, a, as, as someone who's a leader in the community to speak to members of the Jewish community here in Burlington and, and the surrounding towns. How do you speak to that level of pain and trauma and fear 
that's that's just sort of coursing through your community right now? Yeah, I think everybody's kind of in shock a little bit. And, and uh, right from here, I'm going to the temple because this evening we're going to have a time for people to come and have a time for reflection and to just express how they're feeling. Um, so it's like it's like I have like a, a, a thousand tennis balls like shooting at me at the same time and I'm trying to hit them all back and and reply and, and everybody has a different level of need and, and a different relationship and um, no, has different connections there and, and and there's also a level of just our connection you know everybody's rethinking their connection with the state of Israel which is one prong of our Jewish identity and the Jewish people like like people who aren't Jewish sometimes don't quite get the fact that Jews are like one big extended family and, and when one even when one Israeli soldier or one person in Israel is killed like everybody mourns so this is just mm-hmm. like like uh, incredibly worse than that. It's 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 hard to really take in. Mm. Um, so I'm trying to kind of parse this out for members of the non-Jewish community, and um, as well as deal with everybody's in a different place right now. It's a little bit like um, what, the disaster when Jews were killed at the, in the Pittsburgh synagogue yeah. a, a number of years ago. Um, uh, it kind of reminds me of that feeling. Um, it also reminds me of many, many, many years ago, there was a woman, a young woman at the temple, young mother, who died of cancer, and um, uh, everybody in the community was grieving, and so was I, but I had to like deal with everybody else's grief as well. So it's like that. Do you, is there anything, anything else that you would say, I'm, I'm not Jewish, I, I, I will say um, I feel... Um, mostly a sense of of overwhelm at everything that I don't know and all the ways that I don't know to talk about this and to connect with loved ones in my life who are Jewish. Is there anything that you would say to people like me who 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 feel for who feel and don't and don't know how how to think about this or how to connect um, meaningfully with with Jewish loved ones. Yeah, so I think I think the most important thing, and I appreciate you and and your your um, uh, caring and concerned response. Not everybody gets that, um, which is kind of maddening. Uh, but I, I would say the most important thing is for people to reach out to Jewish friends and relatives and just express their concern. That's extremely meaningful for somebody who's Jewish to just know that that um, people care and people are concerned about them and that people get the fact that they have a strong emotional connection um, with people in the state of Israel. So that that's extremely important, I think. Uh, and, and another thing I would say for some other people is that this is not a time for a political debate. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, of course, you know, everybody's feelings about the Palestinians and, and so do I. You know, I'm, I'm very concerned about any civilian Palestinian who is killed or, or hurt in any way because of this conflict. And I've always been very concerned about, about people who are, are Palestinian as well as, as Jews. We're all human beings, and, and nobody should suffer because of these political issues. And um, But this is not a time for an analyzing, you know, like like, like sometimes people say, well, well, the occupation, you know, that, that word is mm-hmm. like is like is like rubbing salt in a wound, like the the word occupation. Um, this is not the time to talk about that. You know, it's like you know, if you're talking to somebody who's Jewish who's kind of in mourning in a sense, um, 
that's just not a, a helpful term right now. It's it's more important to talk about uh, just being there for each other, showing compassion, and, and just understanding the person's grief. Yeah. Um, are there other actions, other ways that people can get in, to get involved to support um, the Israeli community now, to support Israel? Or, or yeah. Yeah. So so um, I think one thing is on social media to just show concern. Uh, that's very important because I think like Hamas and other terrorist groups are trying to sway the dialogue um, to be anti-Israel and show Israel. Like, we, we all know that, that once the tide turns in this war, um, uh, it's going to be easy to, to for Hamas to claim victimhood and, and to try to sway the, the opinion towards that side uh, because of the Israeli, necessary Israeli response. So it's important for people to be just supportive mm-hmm. um, of the state of Israel uh, for the for the foreseeable future, um, also people can can practically send donations. Um, there's a, an organization. I'm going to get it wrong. It might be called the Israel American Council. Um, there's there's a, an office in Newton. Uh, they're collecting goods to send to Israel. Uh, and there's also an Amazon wish list. Like, I don't know if there's a way to post a link. We can share it with this episode description. Okay, good. So, so there's, there's an Amazon wish list link uh, that people can just donate, choose what they want to donate, and it will go to displaced families in Israel who, you know, lots and lots of families have had to be displaced from the south and the north now that Israel's being bombarded from the north as well. So. So um, that's a, a, a practical uh, way that people can help. Okay, we'll, I'll be sure to include that information uh, with this episode. Um, Rabbi Susan Abramson, those are all of my questions for you. Again, I really appreciate your time, and I wonder, before we finish, if you think it would be appropriate to end with a very brief moment of silence for the lives lost and the people displaced in this conflict. Yeah, I, I think that's very appropriate. Thank you. Rabbi Abramson, thank you again for taking a few minutes to speak with me. And thank you very much, Sydney. It's wonderful that you gave me this opportunity to speak with you about this issue.